A lot of doubt running rampant in the markets, but as logistics professionals, staying on top of those moments that can shift consumer behavior can mean the survival of your company. And what better way to stay on top of those shifts than to hear insight from some of the top companies in logistics like LoadSmart, DriveMyWay, Transfix, and Knitchell Logistics. Hello, everyone. Welcome into another episode of the Everything is Logistics podcast, where we talk about how your favorite things and people get from point A to B. I am your host, Blythe Bremley, a creative entrepreneur and founder at digitaldispatch.io, helping freight companies get online and grow. You can find more information about this episode, my company, our products, and free content resources over at everythingislogistics.com. Now back to this episode, the executives in this series are some pretty heavy hitters. They include Kathleen Gag, she's the VP of Marketing over at LoadSmart, Beth Potratz, who is the CEO and co-founder of Drive My Way, Christy Knitchell is also another CEO and owner of Knitchell Logistics, and Jennifer Masso, who is the VP of Shipper Growth over at Transfix. Now, this conversation was recorded live at the Transportation Marketing and Sales Association in Orlando, Florida in June of 2022 with insights around how each company is approaching recruiting and retaining top talent within the company, how to maintain processes and vision when everyone else is shifting how and where they work, getting more budget and resources by building a business case for the CEO to invest in your marketing plan, and how sales and marketing roles within each company are evolving and becoming more strategic. It's a great panel, so shout out to the TMSA for letting me moderate and allowing me to share that insight with you today. You can learn more about the TMSA by visiting tmsatoday.org. But in the meantime, I hope you all enjoy this discussion on where the logistics industry is headed. Uh, and, and kick things off because these ladies just wanted to skip the intros and skip the BS and get right to the questions so we can also have time at the end for Q&A. So make sure that you keep your questions on deck so that everybody can get a chance to ask these talented ladies all about their insights on the latest trends in logistics. So Beth, I'm going to actually start with you. We've seen the power pendulum swing from company to the worker as teams evolve into hybrid and flexible work environments. How are you approaching recruiting and retaining the talent within the company? Yeah, so I feel like the war for talent got coined in the late 90s. And uh, I would maintain that it's over and the talent won. (laughs) It has become nothing more than a consumer-driven marketplace. Job seekers are expecting a very personalized experience. I mean, heck, we can't even go get coffee at Starbucks without it being a personal experience. So why shouldn't finding a job be? And I think that um, what we're focused on at our organization is making hiring personal again and starting to recruit for retention right from the get-go by really um, working to match up what people are qualified to do and inclined to want to do it because it fits their personal lifestyle preferences. People are looking for purpose. Um, They want to be able to live the life they want doing a job they love, especially this next generation coming up. Our task is to make trucking sexy again uh, for this next generation so that we can um, show them that it's a viable career. Any other ladies who would like to comment? Christy, I'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, I would also like to say, you know, within my company, can you hear me? Okay. 
We have an average uh, retention of probably 10 years at this point. We have a lot of employees that have been with us for a long time. But with that being said, um, COVID has definitely made it a lot more challenging now. This year, probably in the last two months, has been the, the worst probably um, or tough toughest market for us, not only to find talent, but also find new ways to retain the additional talent that we've been bringing in over the past year. And we have implemented some things like um, a system called Blueboard with our employees that gives them rewards that are experiences, which are different because not everybody wants money. It's not about that. It's about us also um, surveying our employees and asking them, what is it um, that will keep them here? What is it that's going to make it a uh, place for them to want to stay and work? Um, logistics is challenging, and depending on what job you do, it can you know, vary from being a very easy, you know, fun job to very frustrating difficult position within our company. And on the truck brokerage side in particular, I will say we've had more turnover in the past couple months in that group than we've had probably my whole 25-year career. So finding ways, whether, you know, again, it's doing massages, bringing in a massage therapist, taking the group to a pirate game, um, you know, asking our people, you know, what is it that is going to keep you here? The unfortunate part of it is sometimes there's not enough you can do, and some part of that is the money side of it and the flexibility. We can be flexible to an extent in some positions, but then I will also say that there are some people that have left for a lot more money, and then they also come back because then they realize the atmosphere there isn't what they want. They wanted the money, but then the money wasn't worth staying for that culture. So I really do you know, encourage it's engaging your people and making sure that you do speak up and talk about what is it that's going to keep you there. And I am a CEO, so to me it's important to make sure that we do retain our people and we do take care of our people for what they do. Jen, what about at, at Transfix? How are you guys uh, attacking retention and recruiting? Yeah, very, very similar to, to what you've heard here. I, I think at the core of it starts at the recruiting phase, right? And being authentic and genuine really has gone a long way for that, that retention. And I'll, I'll share a story of uh, a representative that we just recently hired. And I know there's always this fine balance of how many interviews is the right number of interviews, right? Because when it is a, a, a talent, you know, kind of focus effort, they got a lot of options and you want to be respectful of their time. And uh, funny enough, we had a re recruit come in, and, and we were really excited about him. He was really excited about us. He met with five people um, through a number of different panels and individuals. And uh, at the end, we, we extended an offer, and he said, well, that's great, but, oh, that's my mic. <laughs> he said, uh, that's great, but uh, I would like to see more people. I really want to understand the culture. And so I think it's really relevant for us to understand that just as we're interviewing, you know, others that are coming into the company, they're interviewing us. And so living true to, to our core of transparency and trust, we said, well, that's great. Why don't you come into the office? We'll extend that uh, opportunity. Again, hybrid model. So balance of, of being, be in the office and be out, but also, um, the fun element that, that you mentioned is really key and, and core. And so we actually said, well, why don't you also come to one of our happy hours and really see who we are? And, and I'm happy to say that that actually, he walked away from that going, wow, like there's actually, like this is exactly what you said in the interview is what you have here. And so being genuine and authentic really goes a long way. And, and if you're upfront and honest on that front part, it makes the retention piece a little bit easier on the back end. And Kathleen, over at LoadSmart, how are, how are you tackling recruiting and retention? 
So I think that this is um, a challenge for everyone. Um, there's been some data shared recently that about 50% of new hires are failing within 12 months, right? So if you're thinking about your recruiting team, that's two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back. So uh, because I am the head of marketing, um, I think about it as a communications challenge. And so we've been um, looking at our employee surveys is the reason that employees are staying or leaving or what they're looking for, as you were saying, you know, engaging. Um, and one of the, um, after compensation or, or looking at different areas, we sometimes hear that uh, first-line managers or communication are part of the reasons or culture or, or things like that that come across. So um, we've been leaning into enabling our first-line managers, our hiring managers, is actually the first-line communicators. They get involved in the recruiting process now, so the first person that the um, candidate interviews with is actually going to be their first line manager. And then that person's enabled on the mission, the vision, the selling of the company. Then when they come into the company, you have to continue that, which means that that first line manager must be enabled constantly to continue to deliver that message. So that external ma message is mapping to the internal. It's a challenge. It's not done perfectly. Um, but that's how, from a marketing perspective, we've been leaning into it. Um, and then for me personally, when I am doing that when I'm the first person that someone's going to uh, interview with because they would be reporting to me. I'm very transparent in the way that we operate. I think one of these questions was around um, how do you manage hybrid or flexibility or different expectations in the workforce too. That's a real challenge. Uh, we lean on a practice called agile marketing, uh, which allows for a lot of flexibility. We operate in two-week sprints. That's not for everybody. Some people like to come in and be in the office and be face-to-face -face and check in and check out, right? What we're offering is more upfront first interview saying, we're not going to do that. I've got kids. I'm going to go pick them up from daycare. I might work in the evenings, but I don't want you always on. Why? Because we have key deliverables that we align to and operate because that's agile marketing. If that's not for you, I, I'm your first line manager. That's the culture. That's what we're setting. Wonderful to meet you. Let's keep moving on. So I think setting the tone from the beginning and, again, enabling those hiring managers as frontline communicators and internal communicators is um has been beneficial for us. And, and Kathleen, I'll, I'll stay with you for a minute because it, in, in our next question, as we evolve with these different sort of work models, work from home, work in, in person, in the office, a uh, combination of the two, a lot of times that brand messaging can get lost in the process. How do you make sure that the messaging of, of the company goals of, of, of what you're sharing remains consistent throughout that different work environment? Yeah, so I think this is a new one for marketers. <laughs> so... Um, Internal comms was very heavily, I think, in the HR world for a long time um, with part of the uh, challenges around uh, employer retention. They've been looking to marketing to map that internal and external brand. Um, it does sometimes feel like, oh, it's one more thing we have to take on as marketers. Um, but I see it as an opportunity to mirror the internal external messaging. Um, so in terms of a comms strategy, um, it's really important, I think, three things. It's important to repeat, repeat, repeat. Sound like a broken record, right? Mission, vision, purpose. Um, make sure every single town hall starts that way. Repeat it even though you feel like you're, again, a broken record, as I've just repeated myself. Um, if you've got the budget, swag it up. You know, send things out, make it tangible, make it real, put it on the walls. It's on our wallpaper. We've got Easter eggs in our wallpaper in our office. You can send out um, for your Zooms different imagery behind you on your Zooms to cultivate that. So I assume everyone here has core values. We have results, curiosity, teamwork. Everyone's got something like that. Um, how can you demonstrate that? So um, for us, what we do is, you know, TEDx talks. 
we do Lodi talks or Lodi X talks, and then we bring in different speakers, and it's all about teamwork. And it's not about highlighting different people in your teams for their teamwork. It's about the practice of teamwork. So bring in an external speaker. Ask her. She'll come and do it and talk to you about teamwork. You know, ask, ask for people from your community to speak to it as a general uniting area to make sure that internal, external um, core value is being demonstrated. Um, and then finally, I would say acknowledge it. So acknowledge when you're... Um, when your teammates are demonstrating those core values because that's that key internal external repetition that's going to engage that culture have those first line managers communicating it and help with retention um, but it also ties back to you know if you've got a strong mission vision purpose that should be really powerful and uh, be really articulated to your employees internally and externally and i think i heard some other presentations here around like the more you can ingrain that into your DNA, the more that in your employees, the more that's going to come through externally. So I see that challenge that's now in for marketing to manage internal comms as a really great opportunity to manage our external messaging too. And Beth, you had mentioned, you know, trying to make trucking sexy again. How are you, I guess, communicating that value prop or, or other types of value props within the company out to your internal employees or maybe external employees as well? Yeah, so for us, it always the same kind of thing. In fact, I just got kind of called out, to be quite frank. I'm the founder and CEO of the company, and we just went through the performance review process. And sometimes you forget because you're living and breathing something every day. And, and while all that's been happening over the past year, we've had an enormous number of people joining the organization. So everybody's kind of jumping on the train at a certain point in time. So one of the things that we do that I was sort of patting myself on the back for is that we bring everybody together. I set the vision every single year. We engage the full team in helping to create the strategy for how we're going to achieve that vision and how those goals are going to cascade throughout. And then, you know, how we're going to measure ourselves, what does success look like? And then, you know, everybody I figured was all lined up. Well, only the people that had that experience apparently were lined up. The rest of them had no clue what I was talking about when we got to the performance review port. And it just reminded me it's repeat, repeat, repeat. So here we go through a monthly meeting every month where we review, here was our plan, here's our actual, but really failed on my part to structure everything back to that strategy and tying it all together for people. So it's not just about talking about what you accomplished, but how does it fit in? You know, what part of the strategy is that accomplishment driving and not just what was done, but how was it done and emphasizing the behaviors and all of the other values that um, you're asking people to demonstrate and sort of, you know, kind of focusing on those type of things and asking others to share. So when I find that people are engaged in the whole process from the beginning and we repeat that people can feel how they personally fit into the big picture, it, it's made a big difference. So they called me out on it. So now we're doing it every month. <laughs> and, and Christy, is it a, a lot of the same strategies that, you, that you're implementing or is there a little bit of a different approach for you? I mean, honestly, a lot of it is the same and what Beth just said resonates with me because as my company is growing and getting bigger, you have those core people that are with you and then you bring in more people and you're hoping that the, the you know, front line is explaining you know, how our vision, the purpose, our goals, and to be quite honest, I kind of went through the same exercise you did this past year where we had to sit back and make sure that, okay, the, the management team knows what, what it is, but does everybody really know what we are, what we're trying to get across, our vision, our purpose? 
Um, and a lot of that, too, was us actually having Zoom meetings with all of our people um, so that we could make sure that they hear from me and they understand where we're going, what we're doing, why we're doing it, so that everyone knows what our purpose is. And, you know, again, as you continue to grow, I think it is challenging, and you have to find different ways to continue to engage your people. Just like Beth said, when you're going back every month and we're doing the same thing, we're having a meeting every month and kind of reporting back. And we also have a process, too, where, you know, the communication is key. And a lot of times, I think you had mentioned as well um, earlier, just about the fact that when communication does not get through, like that's why people leave, right? It's that first manager and the communication not not being there. And a lot of times, you know, I've worked from the bottom up. So for me, when I hear some of the things that have, you know, fallen through the cracks, I get very, um, I don't want to say upset, but it's one of those things that it's very personal to me because I do feel like, we have to be better and better managers to make sure that we communicate to our teams so that they do understand this, so that they do stay and they do grow with the company. Because if we don't do that, then we're not going to have a business and we're going to constantly be trying to find new people to come into the business, which is not easy to do these days. And Jen, with a growing company like Transfix, how are you handling the communication issue with remaining consistent with your messaging? Yeah, you know, I think uh, funny funny thing with communication is that I, I think oftentimes as leaders, we think we might be over communicating and then we come to find out that we haven't communicated enough. And so that oversharing and then over communication, but not only just what you're saying, but what forum are you giving your team to allow them to bring you information? And so um, one of the things that, you know, for Transfix, uh, our team is, is really passionate and dedicated towards driving change. That's at the core of our mission and our vision. And so in order to do that, it, it's about being agile and being quick and, and putting up a forum where uh, not only uh, are there the one-on-ones and the town halls, there's all hands, there's all these meetings, but the content and the delivery and the communication is is not just focused on the numbers. It's about being able to let the team have their voice heard and be able to bring their insights and, and be collaborative. And, you know, one of the things that, that uh, we really pride ourselves on is the in- inclusion. And so giving people a safe space to feel like they can actually share uh, and be transparent and building that community of trust is, is really about, to your point of, of the growth, right, and, and bringing the core values. It's it's not just the, the platform we're building, it's the team that we're building to support it because at the core it's the people and the people are really at the heart of what we do. And so making sure that we're able to transcend those core values really comes at being able to be open and honest and, and have people trust and, and give us feedback. Uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things, we, we always have these great ideas as, as leadership and then if we just do, you know, kind of tops down and, and traditional speak, it might miss the mark, and, and we got to be open to that as well and, and get as much input and feedback as we can. I think a lot of marketing or marketers in this room are struggle with the question or the approach of trying to get more budget and trying to justify that budget. Christy, I'm going to go to you because you're the CEO. So how do we justify getting more budget for marketing? I mean, to be quite honest, for me, it's not a problem. <laughs> um, the director of marketing works directly with me. I run the sales team, even though I should not at this point, and someone else will be doing that at some point, but I see the benefit of it. And what I can tell you is my director of marketing brings me a plan. She tells me, you know, these are the options that I think that we should go with. This is why, this is how it's going to benefit the company. 
um, you know, this is the research that she's done, what the cost benefits would be to the company, and I'm also a risk taker. And I would not have grown my company if I wasn't able to take risks and just say, let's do it and see if it works. I have no problem doing that, and I know that that's probably a wall for a lot of other companies or a lot of you out there with um, working with your CEOs. But the best thing I can tell you is come with a plan, come with your research, your pricing, look at different ways um, that you feel it can benefit the company and see how you know that company or whatever it is that you're looking at platform-wise or whatnot might have benefited another business that's utilizing that particular product or however it's going, or get, you know, ask for a trial run. Let's do it for so many months and see how it goes. You just don't know how it's going to work out until you actually try it. Um, and I can say, you know, my director of marketing, I only have one marketing person, and she does a lot of stuff for the company. And um, she's really good. And I, I will have to say, you know, this person, too, will have to be someone that the company trusts and knows that she's going to make you know, decisions that are in the best interest of the company. They might not always be right. We all make mistakes, even myself, but you don't know unless you try. So you've got to just go in there with a plan and explain your plan, and then hopefully they bite on that, and then you can fold that plan out. Beth, what about you? How, how do you approach that conversation about getting more budget, more resources for your marketing efforts? So I'm the CEO, so there's not a whole lot of people I need to talk to. True. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I just had this experience with the marketing team. Um, you know, I find that people can get pretty, you know, you, you set a direction and then how quickly people get into operational mode, right? Everybody's so anxious to show you the number and here's what I got and and it's like, okay, let's just back up for a second. So the operational leader told you to go, we need to be doing more brand awareness marketing. We need to be able to trying ourselves out on multiple channels. So everybody goes off and spends, you know, here's your budget, spends a bunch of money, comes back and says, okay, well, well here's what we got. And so I started asking questions. Well, how many conversions? How many this? Like two. You know, okay, so what was the message we put out? Well, we basically put the same message. <laughs> On multiple channels, I said, it's not just about having the opportunity to approve a budget, come up with a game plan, but it's backing up from the beginning and saying, okay, what are we trying? What's the problem? What are we trying to accomplish? How are we going to, you know, identify the right choices on what we're going to put into action? So, a setting some design criteria up front of what does success look like, then we can use that design criteria to objectively evaluate what parts of the plan we decide to act on. And then it has to be around measuring and it can't just be, okay, you said more channels, here's the money, I did that. Well, but we're forgetting what was the content that we put out there and who even is who even wants to know is it going to attract the right audience. So if we had a more full-blown design criteria, I feel like, you know, you're setting yourself up for success with your leadership team because you're already on the same page on what are you trying to achieve and what does success look like, and then you can evaluate what are the tactics and how you're going to go about it. I just feel like people do it backwards. And, and when your your managers are approaching you for, for that more budget, what are the use cases that they're coming to you with that are, I want to do X because of Y? Yeah, so they're coming and just saying, you know, we're trying to achieve, you know, this, and this is the audience we're trying to, you know, 
approach. You know, we heard Snapchat was highly indexed, or we heard, you know, we've, we've done our research and this is what we think. Okay, well, let's see the plan and how we're going to go about it. Are we going to A-B test? You know, what are the key... I, I'm more, so much more focused. They're a little bit worried about me coming to them because I'm all about the message. What is the content that we're producing? You can have the best solution or, or channel out there, and you can have all the money in the world, but none of it matters <laughs> unless you actually have a handle on your audience and what message you're trying to convey and what's going to resonate with people. And, Otherwise, and, it's oh, waste. sure. With, with the, speaking of resonating with the audience, Jen, I'll, I'll go to you. How are you approaching that that difficult conversation of I have this budget, but I want a little bit more because I want to do this? Yeah, you know, I think there's there's so many really important things we all want to address. And so it's figuring out where and how do we invest and, and how do we align that with you know the, the, the top priorities of the company. And so uh, we tend to break it down and focus on the impact, right? What's the short term? What's the midterm? What's the long term impact? And not only from uh, just the, the customer or the shipper side, but the business from the industry and, and then of course the customer and the shipper. And so being being clear to the audience, understanding who I'm going after and is this something immediate or is this something long term? And going in with that on the front end actually uh, really helps, uh, especially for uh, a, a company like us. Uh, we really kind of lean in and, and we're very thoughtful and deliberate about how we invest. Um, but we also are, are very much a learn fast, fill fast, and evolve quickly type of company. And so being able to understand on the front end that you know this is a long-term impact <laughs> versus a short-term, and this is who we're going after, making sure that all those are aligned are extremely critical um, and help uh, really prioritization and kind of where the investment goes and, and how we get funding for, for more. I, I love that approach with the short-term and the, and the long-term goals of, of what you're trying to go after. Kathleen, how are you approaching that, that budget? conversation that everyone loves to have. Uh, so I love hearing specifically you two in the middle talk because I'm like <laughs> taking notes on what to say. So I think I think also what you two are saying is you know marketing must demonstrate clear understanding of the business strategy and objectives. It's not about let's go run this tactic, let's go run this campaign. It's how are you making an impact in a long-term business strategy and you're not just executing because one person said we need more leads, we need more brand awareness, and you do it mindlessly. So I think understanding how to speak your language and then also building trust with your all your executives with sales, right, and across the business leaders is so key so that marketing has a real seat at the table and we're not executors, we're actually participants in the strategy, right? So what a company... Um, when you want to have a conversation around what to invest in or what not in, um, where I've where I've seen some success is not to say let's invest more in Instagram, let's invest more in email, let's but it's slowing down and say how do I have a strategic conversation with you about the impact of marketing, right? And so I believe in building always on client centric, data driven outcome-focused campaigns. And so you can't be outcome-focused unless you understand the business objectives and why you're doing it. You can't make decisions unless you have data, and you shouldn't be pushing products. You should be pushing messaging to clients around pain points for conversion. So if you can assert yourself as a leader in understanding your buyer and their conversion, then we'll be able to get, um, you know, open the purse strings a little more to invest in something that's always on. Where I never want to go with my conversations is to say, 
what's your highest performing paid channel? Double down in that. I've had so many executives say, well, can I just give you $30,000 and you'll get on the first page of Google? No. Said no one ever, right? <laughs> and then if you look at the individual performance of those paid channels, they might not look great, but they're going to have knock-on effects for organic, which then goes to the leads and the wins. So you... If you run, if you can slow down and say, hey, this is a cohesive and, you know, intentional strategy. It's always on. It has multiple factors coming into it. I'm going to show you all the data for performance. And then when you are looking at that data together, you lock in with sales. Yes. Right? And you and sales become codependent on each other so that that those measurements, that data that's coming through, that's a lifeline. And now sales is going to them together to say more, more, more budget for marketing, right? Well, more budget for marketing comes in for more revenue. Um, you know, right now for us, like 70% of our SaaS revenues are from marketing attribution. Guess where we're investing, right? Guess where sales is growing out their teams, right? Because the more leads you have coming in, um, the more that you need the sales reps there to follow up. They don't close themselves. So if you have these proven business models um, and you get deep alignment with sales and partnerships and you, get, you can get yourself a seat at the table, um, and I will say this, no two metrics. If you, It's not going to happen overnight. If you're not running these beautiful end-to-end, always-on programs, it takes a while to shift that, and it takes a while to shift that mentality and build out these models. Like No one's going to have an attribution model just like that. It takes time. Um, but if you're going to know two numbers... Know your CAC, your customer acquisition cost, and know your ROI. So you can have two conversations and you can control it. I'll have two conversations around CAC. What is my, like, if I spend something, how much does it come in? And then what's a CAC, including, like, my headcount, right? All my operational expense. Have a strategic conversation about how the business is investing in marketing and know your true customer acquisition costs. And then set a target for what looks good and lower it. And then you building trust. On the flip side, it's ROI. If I give you a dollar, what are you going to give me back? I tell you, most leaders don't really care if it comes through Instagram or Facebook. They might find it interesting. But what they really want is if I give you a dollar, how many are you going to give back to me? And I could say, if you give me a dollar, I'll give you three back. But if you give me more than 500,000, I might start to give you two back, right? Because there's diminishing returns. So CAC and ROI are the two to start with um, while you prove yourself out that way, and then eventually flip into these always um, client-centric models. I have to have one more sure. really quick. Just a plea from a CEO, the CEO. <laughs> I think I could talk on behalf yes. for both of us, but all I would say to all of you is don't give up. Keep pushing. We're probably on the extreme of being a little bit more risk-taking as CEOs, <clears throat> trying to try things out, because if you keep doing the same thing, you're always going to get the same result. I'm sure there a lot of you don't have a CEO that's like that, and sometimes you feel like you're beating your head up against the wall, but don't give up because if you don't keep pushing to try new things and you don't try to create a, help contribute to a culture that's where failure's okay because we're learning, I'm not saying like your whole budget, I'm saying like a, a portion, um, you're, we're never going to evolve. So don't give up. I know it's hard. I know some of the conversations are probably difficult for all of you, but keep going. And, and, and like she said, band, sales gets everything. Because if you can tie it to the revenue, you know, you're already at the first uh, step. So and not everything, but clearly revenue trumps 
a lot of things. <laughs> well said. I think it, it definitely helps said. having a CEO who understands and supports those different marketing efforts and is willing to be patient as, you know, sort of these roles evolve. And, and speaking of roles evolving within sales and marketing, Jen, I'll, I'll go to you. How do you foresee those roles? How are they established now and are they, how are they evolving in the future? Yeah, the, the sales and marketing role have had an interesting history in this industry. And, you know, traditionally, uh, to the point there with, you know, sales being at the, the kind of forefront, you've had these really one-to-one relationships where it's the sales and they go out and they get a customer and sales and customer and those relationships kind of then get grown from there and, and organically. And what we're seeing now in the industry and, and the trends is that you're really starting to see this this combination and working together and evolution to this one-to-many or many-to-many or many-to-one, which ultimately, when you think about it, the voice of the customer, it's really something really hard to capture. And and it, it crosses everything from not only service from the sales perspective, but sustainability now. And you think about all your ESG reports. And so being able to capture what's at the, the true essence of the customer and bring that not only into the the just the the sales pitch, but the actual branding, we've got to lean in and really understand truly what are the challenges and the constraints that our customers are facing so that we can come back internally, build in the solutions, build in the messaging, and then ultimately re-deliver that back to the market. And so to do that, realistically, we, we have to work together. And so um, it's, a, it's a better together mentality <laughs> uh, that's really starting to be the trend now. And, you know, working together really creates a more seamless um, experience for everybody involved. And, and I'll, you'll hear me say it multiple times, of course, but transparency across the industry is something that we're really focused on. And, and in order to achieve that, it's, it, it has to happen across sales and marketing. And I think as a whole in an industry, we're, we're seeing more and more of that. And, and Kathleen, you you manage. You're one of the rare people in in transportation logistics that manages a lot of people in your marketing department. How are you prioritizing what roles in sales and marketing that that you're going to hire for now and in the future? Right. So I joined LoadSmart a year and a half ago, and there were two people, and now there are 25. So uh, that wasn't the plan. I think the plan was four to five, but we delivered results and we created clear areas to invest. And so that opened up more resources and teams. Um, I also believe that in marketing, we can extend further and have um, engineers who are running our website on our team with us, internal comms with us, corporate comms with us, PR with us to match the internal external. Um, and in addition to the traditional product content um, executors. So in terms of how where we are hiring what we're hiring for, we actually review our second half of the year strategy at, a, at the executive level. We align on those priorities. We see where the gaps are in our team. And we have very open discussions about what are we not going to do? What are we going to do with the re- if we had more resources, right? If, you, if we want to do a new product launch because we also are very agile, like like you were saying, uh, and we bring a lot of things to market, and that requires resources. It doesn't mean headcount. It could be you know agency support. It can be reorgs. But there's there the conversations are had at the executive level to say what are the what will happen, what won't happen based on these investments, and we talk about them as investments, and we look for return. On those investments, and then from the the, the CEO perspective, uh, Christy, I'll, I'll start with you. How are you establishing what those sales and marketing roles are now, and what they might look like a year from now? 
Yeah, I mean, I definitely would say we are making some um, changes because we're changing systems and we're getting a new CRM in place um, and actually building a strategy that we really didn't have before between sales and marketing. I mean, yes, there was connectivity as far as reporting and putting out, you know, nice maps of where equipment is and certain stories and things like that. Um, I would say my company, we actually kind of had like a disconnect um, a little bit to an extent between the team itself and our director of marketing, not so much myself, but then me kind of leaning in and saying, you know what, we need to be able to find a better way to work together. And then the sales team really just having a discussion with all of them. Um, and actually right now we only have about four salespeople, um, you know, that work with our marketing um, director of marketing, and she's, you know, asking them, what do you want to see from me? What can I do for you? What do you want to report on? And then, of course, what do the customers want to see? What are the pain points like we've talked about before? What are things we can put out there? I also brand my company a little bit different than probably most companies do as well. I'm out there speaking a lot. I'm part of a podcast. I, I mean, I'm always putting myself out there and doing things too. So that's also part of our marketing strategy with our customers as well, letting them know who we are. I am visible within the organization. I know who you are. This is who we are in making that very apparent to, to everybody. So, you know, again, we're also letting our salespeople have a voice in that process. And we're kind of in the process of really creating something new now because we're going to be getting new systems in place. And we also use like the Zoom info. Um, and, you know, just really, I would say before our director market couldn't really do a ton of stuff that she wanted to be involved in because she was more of not only just handling all of our different websites or social medias and whatnot, um, but also helping me with a lot of content myself that I'm putting out there um, with the company. So it's truly just building it now, really from scratch and really putting a strategy together. When my father started the business, he always said it was a sales-driven organization. Sales obviously is extremely important, but in the same token too, it's not just about completely the sales, it's about everybody coming together and building what that message is and what we want our customers to be. And I can tell you, we drive a lot of activity to our social network just because of me being involved. I think I was in a meeting earlier um, and someone from Pitt, Ohio, I'm just gonna call out, had mentioned about, you know, getting the word out to their executives and whatnot. And I've actually spoken at an event with one of their executives, Jeff. And, you know, I think sometimes what companies don't realize as a CEO, putting yourself out there, which I know Beth, you know, has done, that's important to a business. And, and you as marketers telling your CEOs or Jim Becker over there as well, same thing. You know, people that I know that are out there that are CEOs, they need to be visible. They need to be public because that will help the business all around, and I can't even tell you um, in numbers, but you know, it's definitely helped my company grow to the level that it has been, and it's very important that that message is also brought back to your team. And then Beth, with you, you being more visible and, and, and being sort of the, obviously the face of the company, how are you, was that a decision that you made that, that you wanted to be out there? Or what did, you know, maybe some staff members say like, oh, this is something that I think you should do, or was it a collaborative? approach to that conversation? Well, I knew that I had to, whether I wanted to or not, I knew I had to do it. And it, it was, it's been a great um, learning for me, actually, because you spend so much time and you're so invested in the business that you've built and you're out there and you're talking to people and you're touching the prospects and you're touching customers. 
And sometimes you forget about your internal team. I'm, and, and I look to my marketing person, I mean, my marketing team, but my head of marketing, because I'm constant, things are happening so quickly. And, you know, with a, a workforce that's all, you know, working from home and we're all over, you know, we miss all the little nuggets. I might have like a real nugget conversation with you about a particular client. And hey, hey, did you all know that that's a trend that I'm seeing when I've talked to these last six customers? This is a thing. And, but that, only the person who was talking with me at the time is getting to have the benefit of hearing that. So I have to constantly tell myself, you know, and tell the rest of the organization, all of you are touching our customers all the time. You should always be listening for what we're learning. And then we have to figure out a way I look to the marketing person to help us internally be able to be able to share that so that we can all have, you know, the benefit. At the same time, I also am out, you know, out and about and I'm adamant that somebody's got to own the master brand of the company. And that just doesn't mean, you know, what your name is and, you know, your logo and your brand guidelines. I mean, I come from having worked at Unilever, so I've worked with some of the best marketing people in the industry. And so I knew what a brand key was. I know how important all of that was. I spent a lot of time putting it together. And it's, for me, it's how do we evolve that messaging and, and then most importantly, to make sure that we're delivering on who we say we are, even internally with how we operate. And so I look to the marketing team to really shepherd, you know, the brand. And that includes our employment value proposition internally on the brand and what we're all about, you know, how we are to be an organization to work with. So um, I think that every single person in the organization, I loved your idea of everybody who's the hiring manager becomes that brand ambassador on the vision, mission, values, um, because every single person in the organization is responsible for helping to re- recruit and retain talent. We always have to be re-recruiting the talent that we have. And it, you know, it starts with everybody, but it comes from the CEO. And, and the marketing team plays a huge role in helping make sure that those, that messaging is tight. And, and I want to add to that. My director of marketing, she's like my go-to. Like I have it, you know. John runs my company. He's the COO, but she is like, she is so important to me. I understand that, and that's what you all have to get across to the people that you're dealing with. How important it is to the whole organization, to the CEO, um, because sometimes they just don't see it. And I see that. I see the value in it. I know it's important, just as, you know, Beth said the same thing. There's probably not many of us out there that feel that way, but it's truly benefited me and my company, um, and I don't know what I would do without her. She's been with me for 15 years. So it's it's very um, a personal thing to me. But you can have silos, too. Like, I just had a really tough learning and it's my responsibility as a leader, you know, that marketing team's off doing their thing and doing a phenomenal job, by the way. Same thing with sales. But we had our content team publish content that brought in some awesome organic traffic, but we didn't have anything to offer the people because we didn't have any of those jobs in our system. So I, it's incumbent upon me to explain to everybody that it's a puzzle, that we all fit together and no one part of the, the, of the business can really accomplish anything on its own, and we all need to be working together. So um, now we've got the sales and marketing kind of working together, not because they weren't wanting to work together, but just really understanding the impact of what each other's doing upon one another. Well put. All right, let's open it up for questions. We got time for a few. Anybody raise their hand, and we will come around with the microphone. 
Don't be shy. Or you could just yell. <laughs> <laughs> no questions? I guess you guys were just that brilliant. All right, now I have to think of one. No, Sorry. Patrick, of <clears throat> so first off, again, thank you for coming and being a part of this. This is absolutely amazing to get you guys' perspective in the world of people here in this room that have to control marketing. So that's honestly invaluable from, from you guys. Um, I guess, can each of you kind of give a recent success story that you had with your marketing team that you're really proud of, I guess, in the last year? Who wants to start? Yeah, I'll, I'll start us off. Um, so maybe a little too on the nose or obvious, but uh, we just recently relaunched our brand. And uh, the story behind that, for anybody that's been through a brand relaunch, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, quite, it's quite a bit. Um, and, and so our rebranding and, and relaunch. And so it was um, a huge collaborative effort that was so highly cross-functional and, and fast. And, you know, that took, you know, to get that going, it was one of those things as we, we looked at it and, and pulled teams together, it was such a way of, um, a really good way to see all of that input coming into one spot. And so that was one of the, the biggest successes that I would say that we've seen recently um, and being able to clarify and articulate a lot of what we're talking here today and, and give a, a fresh perspective into our mission and our vision and values. But again, I, I kind of focus on uh, the success is not just the launch itself and the, and the rebranding, but the actual work that went in and the team and the cross collaboration and the input and making sure that everybody had a voice in that um, was was the uh, the biggest success that we we've we've had you know recently and, and that was just March 28th so that's pretty uh, relevant yeah. and, <laughs> and recent so. other success stories yeah I really like that example because I think a lot of what we've been talking about probably because we've been very business focused around driving revenue and um, you know uh, outcomes for the business, but that's a really nice example of a strong go-to-market strategy. And we haven't really talked about go-to-market as much. It's more difficult to measure when you have strategy or a framework and then the output. So I like that one a lot. Um, even if there are measurements for success, it's still that unifying cross-functionally at a strategic level. Um, an example I would give goes to testing, which we were talking about earlier. So um, my in my past life, I did a stint at IBM for eight years. Right? And so there are certain expectations that I had from that world that I came into my new role here that, um, that just you know weren't true. Um, for example, I assumed that when uh, we brought in a lead, like a demo request, it would be followed up with very quickly. <laughs> I was wrong. <laughs> um, I, we were you know pulling our hair out saying, why don't we have 100% lead follow-up? We're not following up with leads for days and days and days. I mean, normally we'd have SLAs and KPIs with the sales team where we say, it's been two hours, right? You know, we're going to give it to somebody else. So, you know, there's all these metrics out there. You know, the faster you respond, the sooner you get the deal. That wasn't a thing. Um, so we ran a test, and I, and I ran a test, and I said, okay, instead of sending all these leads that come through to 50 sales reps and having them washed through and having them filter through the junk, let's just send them to three, right? Let's send them to three. And then we looked at the, uh, we said to these three, you're part of this test, you're going to get a special spiff from it, and um, we're going to run it for a month, and um, right now, your lead follow-up rate was something like 50%, 50% of leads are being followed up with, <laughs> and they were getting, the average follow-up um, time was 36 hours, something like that, again, horrible. So we ran the test, 
We reached 88% um, lead follow-up because we had leads trickling in, so I call that a win at 100. Um, the average time to follow-up came down 10 hours, which is still um, too long, but that's okay. Um, and then the opportunity to conversion rate, that was at 2%, and I hoped it would go to 5, and it went to 14. So I then hired two LDRs onto my team, and it's their job to 100% lead follow-up all the time. They, follow, they get 100% lead follow-up, they follow up within two hours, and then they flip to the appropriate sales rep within the team. So you have a unified shipper experience, that customer-centric. Um, and I like that as an example of like small steps to change and test, you know, to prove your point within an organization. Um, so that was a win. Thanks for asking. <laughs> Success stories from Beth or Christy. I mean, we have a dual-sided marketplace, so we have a proprietary patented technology that matches truck drivers with jobs. So we, the, we have the driver side um, looking for the job, and we have the carrier side. Um, so we have to bring up both sides. And uh, one of the big successes that we had is um, during COVID, I kind of coined 2020 one in 2022 as the, it kind of evolved into 22 as the year of storytelling, because it really hit me during all that period and people's just, you know, kind of craving to connect that, um, our opportunity on go to market is with the, it's in people's stories. That's what it's all about. So it was kind of cool to have, the, throw that out there and have the team come together. Now we've got drivers who have a technology when we're asking them after they've been hired, you know, what was your experience working with us? They're actually creating videos on their own uh -huh. to tell their story of what the experience out before we tried this. And we've got, you know, the guy with the, you, know, you could see up his nose and he was, <laughs> they didn't know how to do it, but now we've got this tool and it's really very simple and they give us the feedback and it, it, it's amazing. And then we, you know, build it into our content in terms of what are we doing to tell the story on both sides mm -hmm. Um, so we're getting case studies, testimonials, all kinds of things that um, have just driven huge growth. So storytelling, love that. That's my thing. Christy, I see you smiling over there. No, I mean, it's a, yeah, there's just different things that I could talk about. But I think one, I think that's just been very important to my company is, you know, the marketing um, that's been a success story for me is like she, like you said, about talking and be, putting yourself out there and having a face for the company. To me, that has been something that my director of marketing has pushed. She has looked for places for me to, to speak, to write articles, to um, be at events. And then at one point, it was just like we didn't even have to look anymore. It was constant, just people asking um, for me to be there and write articles and whatnot. And that just brought my company's level up like to an extent to where customers or agents or salespeople, people knew who we were. They were saying, I saw you on a podcast and they, you know, they want to do business with us because of the message I was putting out there because I just literally, she plasters me all over the place. Um, you know, and one of you know, I think one of the best success stories, too, is just the fact of also starting a podcast, obviously, with Blythe here on the LLC Ladies uh, Leadership Coalition. And my director of marketing is a producer of the podcast as well. Um, and she is now doing that for a team of ladies, um, which I feel, again, putting yourself out there and getting that recognition goes a long way with customers, with carriers, vendors, whoever it may be, because when they see that name and they see you constantly out there, it's a win-win for the company. And we have just seen not just like the views and all those different things go up on our social media, but we're actually getting business because of it. People mm -hmm. want to do business with us because they've seen me speak um, or what 
whatnot um, that's been put out there. So to me, I consider that a huge win for our marketing and what she has been able to do with me and push me into levels that like I was not comfortable and like had to come out of my shell and say, you know what, this is good for the company. It's good for everybody. So, um, and that's one thing that I've told her that, you know, she's inspired me to actually be better, um, to do more that I would not have done myself if she didn't push me. I love that. And I'm just, <clears throat> I'm just going to ask you for numbers on it because I'm on the education committee and my question causes us to run past past time. I'm in trouble. <clears throat> so, if you had a drive, drive, a empty dry erase board for your marketing department, we've talked about three critical areas: internal, recruiting. In sales marketing, what percentage would you put their efforts, not not spend, but efforts, in each bucket? Who wants to tackle that one? I, th I think it depends on your on your business objectives as well. Like we're going through, a, we just completed our um, Series D in January, so we're going through a huge scale and growth phase right now. So. Uh, recruiting and retaining is really key for us. Um, whereas, you know, in past lives, it would have been, been as important because you have very established teams. So, um, definitely depends on your business objectives. From a marketing perspective, um, uh, for, from, for me, when I look, it's, it's difficult to answer that perfectly because it depends on the buyer cohort. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so as we're thinking about how to service our enterprise shippers versus our carriers versus some of our SaaS solutions, we're going to invest on the SaaS area much more in sales and marketing um, and less on the internal comms and recruitment because it's just an engine that you're pumping into to scale and accelerate. Uh, whereas in other areas where you've got, you know, really top-notch key accounts um, there, less so in the marketing, uh, high volume, and more so on supporting sales and that role and, and the customer relations and more of an event strategy, which we haven't talked about, which is interesting given COVID there. Um, and probably when you look at the very transactional areas of the business, that's where you have, wherever you have the highest recruiting retaining issue that's where your internal and your um your internal and your comms and your recruiting team should be tied in so like we're hiring something like 50 very junior account sales reps into chicago in the office and we're deeply involved in that recruiting effort right we are making videos with the sales director speaking and talking about who they want to have come in are you demonstrating curiosity come work for me so our marketing efforts are really focused there because we know that's how the business is going to grow um, whereas on some of the SaaS areas or the other areas that are machines, less of that and more of that. So I hope they have business priorities, I suppose, but intentionally. Same thing. I mean, we're a SaaS business, so that's where the primary focus is going to be. But frankly, it's about ready to level up because I'm realizing that the internal piece is a huge part of being able to attract and retain talent. And we have to invest in all the people who are touching all of our customers and our prospects. So... Um, that's where the money needs to be because you can have the best product, solution, technology, whatever it is, but your people are the ones that make it all happen. 
And Christy, yeah. what about from the Kinichel Logistics perspective? How yeah. are you building that out? I mean, I would say obviously people is extremely important to us. Um, I have a goal to hit a high revenue number pretty quickly in the next five years, and that's going to um, need some, uh, you know, a good bit of people. And also, I just acquired a company about a month and a half ago as well, and we're looking to grow out that office as well with people. But we're also investing in technology and implementing three new systems later this year. So. Um, in the same token, looking for salespeople, we have an agent network. So to me, I mean, a lot of it is the people because you need the people to also to you know do the system part of it as well. But the people are probably the most important. The sales, I mean, I've done all of that myself as well. And it is extremely important. If you don't have you know sales coming in, you don't have anything to ship. So at the end of the day, we also need those people inside to also operate that freight that is coming in the doors that we have our salespeople. And to me, I'm not going to grow unless we have the investment in the people. And Jen, how are you approaching those three buckets? Yeah, I was going to say maybe it's a balancing act, but maybe not balancing in a blend instead. <laughs> and so, because I don't know if it'll ever be balanced, right? I don't know if we'll ever get to the full 100%. And so um, I think it's really about blending it and, and going back to what was said earlier about ROI and understanding what's your, your go-to-market today and, and where do you need that investment. I think that's where, you know, that kind of ebb and flow come from. And and realistically, when I think about the recruiting piece, a lot of this is on the front end as you continue to build and grow your talent acquisition team, right? A lot of it, uh, I'm a big fan as, as far as, you know, our, our focus of eliminating uh, and, and minimizing waste of reuse and recycle, right? So what can you reuse? What can you recycle? And so um, I think it's just a, a dynamic that's going to change. Um, and you just got to blend those areas and, and the investments that go and time that go into it based on what the, the business needs are that, that moment. Love that. One final. We got time for maybe one more question, if anybody has it. Sure. Yeah, tips, things that you're thinking about going into the recession. What are some of the things that you're going to measure differently, change? What are you planning for already? What are you changing today? What do you see coming in the future? I'll start. I mean, honestly, it's hard to predict. We are, you know, we're watching it. We're seeing what's going on, but it's not stopping us from hiring people. Um, obviously, we know that it's also a volume game in our business, and volumes have been down because my business is niche and intermodal. So a lot of... Um, you know, what we've been able to do, we've been held back by the railroads. So we've been, ha you know, having to grow out the other areas of our business significantly, which is why we have done an acquisition as well. And we'll continue to do that. I feel as a leader, we just have to keep an eye on what's going on. And I'm going to hire people to do what I need to do. And as, you know, if a recession were to come, then we'll deal with that when that comes. But I'm not going to hold back because there's talk about it because I feel like if you're not growing, you're not going to survive. So we just have to keep move, moving forward and do what we have to do as a business just to keep operating. And again, you know, I know it's not the best answer, but it, it, it is hard. We do talk about it. We keep an eye on it. But in the same token, too, we're just going to keep doing business like we need to and we need to hire people. Um, we don't have enough people to do what we need to do and to continue to grow. And um, you know, our hopes are if something like that happens, that we'll still be in a good position to be able to keep those people to get through it. Because I've also have kept a lot of equity in the company. I don't take equity out or, you know, money out of the company in that fashion. So that if there is an issue, my company is in a position to keep people and not lay people off. Anyone else want to comment? Yeah, I'll, I'll just I'll second that. I think it's a topic of discussion. 
Um, you know, in this industry, we've seen, you know, the softness of the market, and, and that tends to be an indicator, but we don't know the longevity of that yet. And so I think a lot of us are, are prepared, we're, we're ready. Um, we, you know, we're looking at that being very mindful and monitoring it, but uh, very similarly, still still leaning in, still investing heavily. I, I go back to that, you know, learn fast, build fast, evolve quickly, right? And, and I think that that culturally still stands. And so um, just being mindful of, of what is to come and, and balance as best as possible um, all of the all of the business uh, areas that, that you know that you've got to monitor from a, a, a revenue perspective and, and a volume perspective and a people perspective. Beth or Kathleen? Yeah, I was just going to say. I mean, it, there's no other way to go at it other than lean in. Mm -hmm. We made it through COVID. People are always going to. I mean, all of you are here. Everything you've touched today got here somehow on a truck some point or some part of the supply chain got it here um, and that we're all going to still have needs and you know we just have to lean in be prepared for what our customers you know we're all everybody's watching it but at the end of the day everybody's always going to need talent and even if you have to um, think about resizing your organization you're still going to be investing in upgrading your talent so it doesn't that piece isn't going to change and I think to answer it Two, twofold. One, when we think about our customers and what they're thinking about, it's actually kind of an opportunity for, to pivot our message and accelerate it because they're going to be yeah. thinking the same things that you're thinking. Exactly. How can I get ahead of this and how can we be their partners in protecting them? So it's actually good to have that awareness and conversation and be able to demonstrate that value. And it goes to agility that we were talking about yeah. before. Um, in terms of internally thinking about um, ways to optimize. I think it's always good to be risk adverse and manage manage your teams and your budgets with the expectations that they may be cut. Uh, never misbalance your headcount to your spend budget, right? I like to stick at 60-40 because if you get into 50-50 world, then they start looking for heads to cut. If you're 60-40 for your spend you're, you're, um, and you're producing the results, that's, that's the safe zone. Um, so that's more selfish for me <laughs> when, when you're looking to make cuts <laughs> um, while, still, while still performing. So uh, that would be my view. Great insights. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Digital Dispatch Podcast. And if you did like it, I would love if you could rate and review the show on Apple or Spotify. It'll take you like two minutes of your time, but it helps a ton for a creator like me to be able to show that review like a badge of honor. And it also helps the show get discovered by others. If you'd like to see more of my work, head on over to digitaldispatch.io. I've got some new content collections under the resources tab for folks who are freight brokers, truckers, carriers, freight agents, and also a best of collection for how to fix your website and how to fix your marketing. It's all completely free. And again, that tab is under resources over on the digitaldispatch.io website. The website also includes some links to our social media accounts, along with my products and services, in case any of that is of interest to you. Once again, my name is Blythe Bremley, and I thank you for sharing your attention with me today. Until next time, have a magical day.